about the institution, but about the mission. Very good. About the mission, not the institution. And so one of the things that we talked about last week is that the church has to lead that uh, by example. And the, the way to make sure that we are concerned more with our mission than our institution, as a church, I would say, and even as individuals, is to make sure that we are sacrificing. And if we aren't sacrificing anything that we have received then we may want to question whether or not we aren't more concerned about just keeping up the institution than the mission. And so as a part of that, hopefully this week, you um, received a letter that talked a little bit more about what we talked about last week. Uh, As we are uh, thinking about our commitments, and our commitment Sunday uh, comes up next Sunday, uh, we want to invite you to pray about what it is that God may be calling you to give. And uh, the homework, remember we have homework of all sorts of different things, but we also this past Sunday had a, a money homework work, if you will, which was for you to pray about whether or not um, you can consider um, the 1% challenge of giving one more, uh, 1% more of your income in 2017 to give it away than what you did in 2016. And again, I want to point out, as I said last week, that if you're not in a place to do that right now or don't feel the faith to do that right now or, or um, if you are part of a, of a family that your husband goes and the spouse or the wife doesn't or vice versa. There are struggles. I want you to know we understand that. Um, and so we will not shame you just as we never shame you um, for, for doing homework or not doing homework. Nor will we shame you if you decide to give more. Um, so um, just to remember that. So please bring your commitment card no matter what it is that you're offering. Bring that next week and we'll offer that up to God together. Um, Last week I talked about the fact that there was a sermon before the sermon. So I want you to know there's not a sermon before the sermon this week. There are two sermons before the sermon. So that was the first one. The second one, and I know this is a little bit odd probably of a sermon to preach before a sermon, but I want us to just uh, touchly brief on the idea, touch briefly on the idea, um, on the idea of hell. Now, I know that seems strange, uh, but we're talking about eternity today, and I realized that, that I wanted to be able to kind of address this, and as I thought about the sermon, and I realized it would have been weird and just kind of awkward, it wasn't going to fit very well, and so I decided to do the awkward part before I even start the sermon. And so I wanted to just say a couple things about the understanding of Scripture and hell, because it's something that I know people think about. And One of the things that I've um, discovered is that people tend to be extremists. Uh, And so this certainly seems to me to be the case when it comes to the idea of hell. And and some um, traditions, some pastors, some Christians, um, I've noticed that when people talk about hell, when they talk about hell, they do it with great excitement. Um, Almost as if they're looking forward um, to you going there, right? And there seems to be at times this kind of this joyful glee to talk about it, and they love doing it all the time, and there's, there's almost a smile. And that, that doesn't seem to me to be the right way to go about it. On the other extreme, of course, is the idea of just not talking about it or not thinking about it or not believing anything about it at all. And I certainly understand that. I mean, there is a part of me that, quite frankly, would love that to be the case at times. But I also know That as you look around at the evil in the world, whatever that may be, whether or not it's genocide or terrorism, if you think about something in the past like the Holocaust, you you, you realize that there is real evil and that justice, in some sense, needs to be done. And, and, And if justice is not done, then that's not actually loving. That's just opening things up to chaos and to pandemonium. 
And so the importance of justice and even of judgment at times in order to address the evil that is in the world. And, and so one of the things that um, I was thinking about in terms of a short definition of what I would describe, a short definition of hell, uh, would be this. It is the opposite of heaven. This is what I think about all week. But what I mean by that, as we'll talk about here in just a few minutes, is if heaven is the presence, the beautiful, absolute presence of God, then hell, of course, is the absence of God. And one of the things that we believe in very strongly here is that God loves his creation, and he will keep coming after his people to tell them, I love you. He is relentless because he is a God who is full of grace. But I also know, as they say, that God is a gentleman and he will not force his love to be accepted because that is not love at all. And there comes a point, as C.S. Lewis points out, when someone has decided that they don't care, that they will continue to reject God, that they will continue to worship themselves rather than God, when God will have to finally say, Thy will be done. The question oftentimes that comes out of people is, well, then how do we know that? How do we know who's in or who's out? How do we know, you know, who that person's going to be or when exactly God's going to do that? How do, we, how do we know those things? And my answer to that is the answer that Leslie Newbigin gave many years ago now. He was a missionary to India for 40 years. I brought his name up before. And it feeds in really well, I think, with what we talked about two weeks ago about our call to be witnesses Here's what Leslie Newbigin said. He says, I do not claim to know in advance a person's ultimate destiny. I meet the person simply as a witness, as one who has been laid hold of by Christ and placed in a position where I can only point to Jesus as the one who can make sense of the whole human situation that we share as human beings. A witness is not the judge. So our call, brothers and sisters, is simply to be witnesses. We are called to speak with grace, to speak the truth in love, and to trust that God's will, God's grace, and God's justice will be done as God desires it to be. But we think about eternity, and we reflect on these things because we believe it shapes who we are as witnesses to Christ. And so it is with that in mind that we dive into the book of Revelation. And we're going to look today, when it comes to the topic of eternity, at chapter 21, verses 9 through 27. And I invite you to hear these words. John writes this, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the Spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It has a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates are inscribed the names of the twelve tribes of the Israelites. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. 
And the wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me had a measuring rod full of uh, rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 1,500 miles, its length, its width, and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which the angel was using. And the wall is built of jasper, while the city is pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with every jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each of the gates is a single pearl, and the street of the city is pure gold, transparent as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you this morning knowing that all too often we perhaps avoid thinking of the eternal. We also come to you this morning, Lord, knowing that as we talk about the eternal, we talk about things that we do not fully understand. And so we pray for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom in this time. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you have made it clear to us of your love for us, your calling for us to follow you now and into eternity. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So we're looking at the subject of eternity, and it's a subject that we've talked about a couple times, but it's not always uh, my favorite of topics, primarily uh, because of the fact that in the tradition in which I was raised, when we talked about eternity, there was always a lot of fear um, that was a part of the conversation. And so I still have some, some battle wounds, some scars from some of those conversations and the, the movies that I watched and things like that. And so, so it's a little uh, nerve-wracking for me at times to think about the eternity uh, because of my baggage, but it's also some of my concerns is that I'm always impressed or surprised by how confident people are in their own belief about eternity and especially about the book of Revelation. I am always impressed, if you will, by how some think they have every single thing figured out, right? And, and that even though Jesus said, you know, well, I don't know when I'm returning, it seems that God apparently has told them, right? 
or, or even in this understanding of revelation. Revelation, which by its very nature, is remarkably cryptic and is always trying to point to something beyond what humans can really understand, beyond what human words could ever really detail. And so it always seems to me that if someone thinks they've got it all figured out, that he or she has probably uh, missed the point of the book. That said... It is important for us to look at Revelation. It is important for us to have opinions or to have interpretations, but we do so with a great amount of humility. But I want to say again that I think it's critical that we think about the eternal because I think it shapes how we understand and live in the present. As I was thinking about that this week, one of the things that came to my mind was, um, was our children. We have, uh, we have four. The oldest is just seven years old. And, and one of the things that I, I don't know, I, 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 maybe I should have been expecting this. I, I wasn't, but was how quickly uh, their emotions can change. Just like this, right? And not just how quickly, but how passionate their emotions are. And oftentimes about things that seem like they're Probably not that big of a deal, right? So that, for instance, if, for, if perhaps one sister looks at another sister um, in a way that the other sister or the one sister doesn't think is really all that kind, or let's say that we tell them that, no, you cannot have 50 pieces of candy today, whatever it is, whatever, no matter how small it is, they will react as if you've told them that a bomb just went off outside. There is anguish, there is tears, there is pain, there may be a tantrum. It's remarkable, but it's also the same in the opposite direction. If you tell them something like, hey, we recorded a new Sophia the first today, they will act as if you've just cured every disease known to man. I mean, they are so excited. You're the greatest in the whole world. There is no better day at all. And it's just remarkable and sometimes frustrating, but remarkable nonetheless just to watch them react with these high highs and these low lows of things that seem like they're probably not that big of a deal. And there are, of course, many reasons why they do that. I know that hormones play a part in this and all these other things. But I think that perhaps one of the greatest reasons why that is is because they have lived such a short time that their perspective is somewhat skewed. They haven't yet really appreciated how horrible things can be or how wonderful things can be. And so every little small thing seems like or gets a massive reaction. And as parents, of course, we just kind of sit there and just kind of shake our heads and sometimes smile, sometimes cry. Whatever it is, we just, you know, we look at them in awe at times. And I have a feeling that the way we look at our children may very well be the way that God sometimes or oftentimes looks at us. In the ways, perhaps, that we react, in the things that we do, he looks at us and says, have you forgotten the eternal perspective that you're looking at things in a very narrow way? Uh, one of the, um, uh, Francis Chan uh, came up with this kind of analogy. I think the middle schoolers, did you guys use this today? All right, good. We're just copying the middle schoolers. And this is what he said. He said that this rope is like a timeline, right? And if you came over to see, look how long this is. Uh-huh. See, usually they sit over here to hide, and now you can look at them. So, if this is a timeline, he says, if this is like eternity, and he says that this little black tape down here, this is your life 
on earth. And he says, isn't it fascinating how we spend so much time, if this is all of time, focusing on this? So, for instance, we spend all this time, money, work, thinking about retirement, i.e., this little part right here. So every decision that we make, we sweat it out, we think about it, we do all these things for this little part right here. And we forget that there is all of this time left. And so the question is, what kind of decisions do we make based on this and not based on looking at things in a much longer view? I would suggest as well, perhaps, even in the emotions that we have, that sometimes they belie the reality that we are focusing on this only and have forgotten an eternal perspective. I've thought about that a lot this week, quite honestly, when it comes to the results of the elections. I have seen some uh, who are absolutely elated, and you would have thought that Jesus may have returned. I have seen others who have thought that this is absolute Armageddon and clearly the world is about to come to an end. And I, and I have nothing about, there's just nothing against having emotions. It's fine and good and right to have emotions. However, we are called also perhaps to take a, to take a breath, to be able to see the width of the time frame of God and to realize that perhaps we are skewing things a bit when we put so much of an emphasis and focus on this one thing that has happened. In fact, Revelation, someone has suggested, helps to give us that eternal vision so that even in the midst of anxiety and hopelessness for some, we can always remember that God is in control, that eventually good will overcome evil, that love will overcome hate, that despair will be overcome by hope, and that God is ultimately going to win. And so the reality is, not that we do not have emotions, not that we don't make decisions, but that we do these things in the light of the eternal in which we are living. And I have a suspicion that all too often, even we as Christians, seem to forget that. So what does eternity look like? Now, let me remind you again that when John is writing this, he is thinking about something much bigger than this. This is just a picture, if you will. Someone has said it's like a picture book for us from God. And so, as, as, as John is writing this, he gives us what I would say are several different characteristics of what the new heaven and the new earth look like. The first one is the fact that God's presence will be everywhere. Now, we already believe that God's presence is everywhere, but it will be clearly everywhere. Almost all of us, I would say all of us, go through times where we wonder where God is. It may be in our own life. A situation, it may be in something that's going on across the globe, it may be with this or with that. And what John is saying is here will come the time when the light, there needs to be no sun. By the way, did anybody see the moon last night? Right? I, I woke up in the middle of the night because I thought that a neighbor had turned on their porch light because it was so bright. See it tonight, and when you see it tonight, remember this. That there will need to be no need for that moon 
or for the sun because of the fact that God's light will be so bright. We'll go into every crevice of whomever we are and every crevice and every nook and cranny of this world. The light of God will be everywhere. And as Tim Keller says, when Jesus returns with the new heaven and transforms the earth into the new earth, that all brokenness, all imperfection, all corruption will be broken. Which means, of course, that there will be no evil. And I think this is what John's getting at when he talks about the fact that there will be no seas. S-E-A-S. Now you may be wondering, why, why no seas? That seems kind of strange. What does God have against seas? And the, the point is that throughout Revelation, what comes out of the sea is evil. And so really what John is saying is, is that those things will be squelched. Those things will cease What he says earlier in the 21st chapter is this beautiful uh, passage that most of us probably are familiar with. He says that God will come down and God will wipe away every tear. That there will be no more mourning. That there will be no more death. And I think it's a beautiful image to think of the Lord himself coming and wiping away, not just those tears, but what is what, what, um, the origin of those tears, the pain of death that most of us have struggled with, with the death of a loved one, the pain of a broken relationship, that God himself will come down and will wipe away every tear. But also it seems to me that the seas are significant when you think about where John is. Where is John when he is writing this letter of Revelation? Where is he? He's on an island. That's exactly right, which means that he's surrounded by by the sea. That's exactly right. He's surrounded by water. And so for John, as he writes this, the point, of course, is not just that there won't be any evil, but also that those with whom he has relationship has been broken because he cannot reach them, his family, his friends, his community, his church, all those things, that now the community is made whole, that broken relationships are mended. And so this is what John's saying when he says that there are no more seas. We see this kind of unity. And, and what What is also beautiful in the 22nd chapter is that we're told that there are trees and the leaves of the trees are there in order to mend the nations. So this is not just a bringing together of relationship between friend or family or community. It is bringing together the nations as one. We bring together, we have a sense of community, we have the sense of God loving us and curing us of the evil and the pain and healing us. We also have the sense that John says that there is no temple, right? Which means that there's no kind of church, if you will. And why is there no church? Why is there no temple? Because again, God is going to be everywhere. There is no division between the sacred and the profane. This is something that we talk about with some regularity, trying to remember that God is not just here, but that God is actually everywhere. And not only that, but in the temple, of course, you had the division between Jew and Gentile. You had the division between the races. You have the division between the slave and the free. And God is saying through John that those things will be wiped away. Again, the sense of unity and community, that this is what John is saying. This is what you need to remember, that the new heaven is a beautiful place where the gates are always open. It is a welcoming place. It is a place where there is no more pain, no more evil, a place where peace and community reign. 
And the reason, it seems to me, why these things are so important and so significant is not so that we can just sit around and talk about how rotten this world is and won't it be great whenever Jesus returns and we can live in this perfect place. Now, I think actually as I was trying to reflect on why it's important, what I was reminded of is this little puma shoe. Do I need to explain why I see that, or do you, are you good? All right, I'll explain. So the Puma shoe, this particular, it's this very one, this accompanied Megan and I some seven and a half years ago in May of 2009 into our, um, I said our, is that good? Our, mostly Megan's, labor and delivery room. And so as we were kind of getting everything ready before everything kind of began, you know, she, uh, she put this uh, in a place where from the bed she could easily see it. And she did that, of course, so that in the middle of all of the pain, in the middle of the contractions, in the middle of the labor, in the middle of the questions of why we were doing this, in the middle of those few times when her husband may have left to get a cookie in the cafeteria because they were so good, in those few times when that happened, in the midst of all of that, she could look up and she could see this. And she could remember, wait, That's right. I am doing all of this because at some point there will be a child's foot, a beautiful little girl whose foot will fit perfectly into this puma shoe. And so throughout, it seems to me, she looked at that as a reason, as energy, as a hope to continue even in the throes of pain. And in many ways, it seems to me, it's important for us to remember and to see clearly what this is to where it is that we are going so that we do not lose hope, so that we do not give up, so that we can continue with hope and clarity towards the new heaven and the new earth. In fact, I'll take it one step further to say that keeping this in clear view is vital because it reminds us not just to keep going, but that our particular call amazingly enough, can have an impact on what that eternity looks like. One of the more fascinating parts of John is verse 14 in the 26th chapter. And it says this, that there are 12 foundations of the wall. And that each of these foundations has the name of an apostle written on it. Now, you remember the apostles. We read about them lots and lots in the Gospels. These guys... They were crackpots at times. They were not necessarily the great example or exemplar of what we should all be. And yet, by the grace of God, what they did ends up having an impact on what the new heavens and new earth look like. Now, we say this with all grace or with all, um, with all dependence on the grace of God. Let's be very clear. But I think it reveals that in many ways what we are doing now has an impact on what on the future heaven and earth. In fact, N.T. Wright, he's got this, what I, what I think is kind of this beautiful kind of a statement on this. He, here's what he says. He says, every 
act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer All spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians, which is that your labors will not be in vain. Now we don't know all the details of everything of what that will look like, but it is this beautiful reminder to us, it seems to me, that what we are doing now matters. That the times when we decide to spread grace and love rather than division and hate are those moments when we are shaping what is to come by the grace of God. We are called to point to the eternal. I've been thinking a lot about the eternal over the last few months. I've not been someone who oftentimes thinks about these things, but the last three months or so, I have been thinking about it a fair amount. And the reason behind that is because of Hadley Lair. Hadley Lair, as most of us know, is a covenant child of ours who, um, who was battling leukemia. And so we were praying for her and we were loving her as much as we could. She, she was baptized uh, here at the, um, towards in January, I believe it was. We prayed for her. We walked as much as we could with her parents, Jim and Heather. We grieved with them. We wrestled with God. And about... A week before Hadley passed away, I was talking to, to her mother, Heather. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you don't know exactly what to say in these kind of situations. And, and Heather said to me, she said, you know what? She said, I've been thinking a lot about lately, and that is I've been thinking about eternity. And thinking about just how important it is. And the reality, of course, is that oftentimes it is only when death is around us that we really begin to think about that much. I don't, I don't think about it all that often, quite honestly, but, but she was absolutely right. In these moments, especially as we think about these things, to think about the eternity and to be reminded that this is not all there is. But a couple days after Hadley passed away, Jim and Heather, they, they, they came in and we were talking and they told me this story. It's one I shared at the funeral. They said I could share it again today. Um, they said that Phoebe, who was Hadley's younger sister, that, that Phoebe was playing a game. And that, um, that the game was one where she was pointing to people. Right? She would point at them, and they would point back at her. Right? It's one of these games that's really fun in the beginning, and then kids just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Right? It's this, this beautiful kind of game right? that a child plays. And so they were playing this, this game, and this is what they did. And they said to me that on, 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 the, on the last day when, when, when Hadley was with us, that they brought Phoebe in that morning, and there was Hadley. She was laying down in her bed, and 
The family was surrounding her. And, and so they said, look, look, there's, there's Hadley. And they kept pointing to, to Hadley. And, and, and so Phoebe, of course, she did what she did. She did. She was, she was pointing. But what they began to realize was that she wasn't actually pointing to Hadley. That instead, actually what she was doing was she kept pointing to something above Hadley. And they kept saying, no, 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 here's Hadley. She's right here. She's right here. Point, she's right here. But she wouldn't point to Hadley. No, she just kept, she kept, Phoebe kept pointing above Hadley. And, and you know, we can, all, we can all picture, well, what exactly what it was that she was pointing to. I can tell you that none of the adults, as they looked around, as they said, they couldn't see anything. And what I know, it seems to me, even as a step of faith, was that Phoebe, whether she knew it or not, she was pointing them to the reality that this was not it. That this was not the end for Hadley. What she was doing, what Phoebe was doing, was she was saying, yes, I know, there is this pain and this anguish and this death, and it is real. But she kept pointing. And she kept saying, there is more. And one of the things that I know is that we as the church are called to be the Phoebes, if you will. That amidst everyone else going through these struggles and amidst the pain as we, as we sit there and as we are with them, but we never lose hope that in every time that we decide to love our enemy rather than hating them, we are pointing to eternity. Every time we decide to share the grace of Jesus to the ends of the earth, we are pointing towards eternity. Every time we decide to feed the hungry or to love the unloved or to give to those in need, We are pointing to the eternal. We are pointing to the new heaven and the new earth. This is the call to which we have been given by God. It is yet one more reminder of how much our children have to teach us. So my hope, brothers and sisters in Christ is that we will realize that no matter what situation it is that we are in, no matter what it is that we are facing, that we will always be pointing to the eternal. That the way in which we live, the way in which we give, the way in which we love, the things that we do and say, that all of those things will be pointing to the new heaven and to the new earth until Jesus comes and brings all of these things to life. May it be so. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are a feeble people who oftentimes look at everything around us as if that is all that there is. And yet we know, God, that you have called us to so much more. You have called us to see things in the eternal. And that as we do so, God, that we will be a people who are given the energy and the joy and the peace to be a part of what it is that you are doing here. Until the time comes, God, when your kingdom fully comes here on earth, just as it is in heaven.
Amen. Amen.